following podcast contains coarse language and strong opinions on wine. Seriously, these two have potty mouths and little self-control. Listeners, you've been warned. Live from our basement studios in suburban Chicago, it's another edition of That Wine Pod. I'm Pete, and sitting across from me, a man who prefers his martini shaken, not stirred, Vino Mike. Hello, everybody. I had to give the nod to the last name of the wine that we got going today. <laughs> Hopefully people will understand. Uh, James Bond. Yeah, I don't even know what I just said Are you either. Bond? I don't even know if I said it in the right order. I just thought it was funny. <laughs> So yeah, little little James Bond action. Vino Mike, James Bond, it's usually synonymous. Pretty close. Pretty darn similar. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um I do like it they shaken. Call, they talk they call you 007 and a half, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, too funny. You know. You do like the martini shaken? I am a shaken. Yep, I'm a shaken guy with the martini and very little of anything. You know, like you wave the vermouth over it? Yeah, one of those. Like I, I remember <laughs> someone told me when I was first starting out like as a server at, at Timponi's back in the day, and someone was like, I'll have a you know vodka martini dry. Just look at the vermouth bottle. Right. I was like, that's so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> but now I get it. You know, like, yes. Um, Just a side glance, not even full on. Yeah. Uh, I. I mean, I would do a tiny drop or two yeah. and, you know, I do like, um, you know, I do like dirty, but not, Oh, you like it dirty. I like it dirty. I mean, surprise, surprise, <laughs> <laughs> but just the olives. I love olives. First of all, a ton. Oh my gosh. Like you'd come to the bar waiting for your drinks and there's that big jar of olives sitting right there. And oh, how can you not pop a couple, a uh, little snack, little blue cheese stuffed action. <laughs> love the blue cheese olives. But yeah, yeah so dirty. we we talked about uh, I th- maybe I think we've talked about it on the show, but Schnitzelplatz over in oh, yeah. Glendale Heights, which mm-hmm. has changed owners, but it's still there. Okay, um, we used to go there, and then we would go to Dave and Buster's afterwards because it's not that far away. Mm-hmm. And they actually had good dirty martinis back in the day at the Dave and Buster's. That's awesome. So we'd go over there to get some dirty martinis after we had our German food and beer. Never thought of Dave and Buster's as the the martini joint. Um, I've never been to one, to be honest. Never been to a D D and B. I've never Dave been Buster's? to a D and B. Wow. Yeah, and there's there's one nearby where my parents have a place. In yeah, that's that's where we would go. That's the one, right? Yeah, yeah. because it's not that far um, away from the plots, as we called it. And now, not to be Debbie Downer, but I think they filed for bankruptcy. Did or, they? I don't know. Or they were talking about it. I, they I, could be. I, I mean, I don't know how you make it through COVID when your whole concept <laughs> oh, is gosh. people crowded on each other, playing video games and yelling and eating. And what I, I think they did have some pool and maybe some, um, not maybe not bowling, but something. Maybe, I don't know. Pinstripes, I would imagine, probably isn't doing so great either with, with that kind of stuff right yeah, yeah i mean i feel for for how i don't know how how you survive this but hopefully they do yeah without a doubt man okay wow. on that note let's talk about wine <laughs> <laughs> wait wait i want to talk more about dave and busters what are the best games there 
<laughs> so dude, we we decided today we're going to we're going to have a couple of different subjects on this on this show. Mm-hmm. Starting out with the wine, of course. So, we pulled a 2014 Louis Martini Alexander Valley Cabernet Sauvignon. So, Alexander Valley, part of Sonoma. Yep. I think people would think like, well, don't you want to grab the Napa, the Napa cab? Not in this case. I would argue that oftentimes for Martini, the Alexander Valley bang for the buck outperforms often on the the Napa. Both very good typically. Martini though, dude. It's a pretty standby, you know, like Martini. You're, you're not gonna go too bad ordering anything Martini, you know? Like what's the do they have an entry level? Like they do. I mean, I think of Louis Martini and the first thing that comes to mind is you know, just kind of an everyday grocery store brand. Yep. Um, but one that if you find yourself in the grocery store and you need some wine, that's a good one to pick up. Like yep. it's uh, tried and true, if you will. Yeah. I mean, I would argue that their Sonoma County is probably their entry level, probably just under 20 Just the bucks. regular Sonoma bottle. Yeah. Is that what you find mostly yeah. when you're going out like by the glass? And Typically. You go to a restaurant and it's Louis Martini Cab or Louis Martini by the glass. It's either that or the Napa. Okay. Um, that you'll that you'll see. I mean, their flagship is their Lot 1 Cabernet. That's their big, big, big boy. They've got this Alexander Valley. A few years ago, it was bought by the Gallows. So... You're talking Mar- the Martini family, the Gallo family have kind of joined together. But I got to say that the quality of the wine overall for a name brand is at the upper echelon. I, I wouldn't let the name fool you. Mm-hmm. You know, don't don't stop yourself from grabbing these just because they might put out a few more bottles. I, I think in general, the Gallos have done a really good job of kind of taking all the fortune that they made on on lower end wines, right. And going on this premium tier. Yeah. And I think they've done a really good job, right. Bringing in the likes of Dave Finney and, you know, getting places like Martini, like they've done a really good job of kind of up in the game. Yeah. They've got nice premium portfolio, if you will. Right. And like I said, this is the 2014 Alexander Valley. And this one is super special. Okay. Because we don't talk about reviews often. We don't talk about reviewers often. But when you see something like this, I do think you need to take note. The man, the myth, the legend, the man himself, Robert Parker, scored this wine 97 points. Holy shit. Robert Parker himself? Robert Parker himself. Reviewed by Robert M. Parker Jr. The 2014... Not to be confused with Ray Parker Jr. <laughs> I think he was Ghostbusters. <laughs> um, but Robert Parker Jr. did this review himself. I've seen shit that'll turn you white. <laughs> nice. Uh, um, I think that was not Robert Parker's quote. Mm. It might have been. <laughs> this, this review kind of, though, scared me, right? Because I'm going, come on. It can't be that good, right? But Parker is effusive, so we don't read a lot of reviews. We're going to read this one. So we're quoting from Robert Parker here. Okay. The bigger, richer 2014 Cabernet Sauvignon Alexander Valley is 98% Cabernet Sauvignon and 2% Petite Syrah, aged 16 months and 50% new French and American casks. This is a bigger wine and close to 2% higher in alcohol at 15.5%. 
there are 11,000 cases of this big, full-bodied, boisterous Cabernet that has a dense ruby-purple color, notes of underbrush, forest floor, tobacco leaf, and oodles of black currant and black cherries with a touch of wood smoke. The full-bodied wine hits the palate with a cascade of glycerin, fruit, and purity. This is a beauty, dense, rich, and structured, but capable of lasting 20 or more years. Damn. Dude, I was buying this for 30 bucks. Wow. And it's going to last 20 plus years. I was shocked and and it's very good. Before we dive into kind of your thoughts on the wine, what are, he just he he uses the word glycerin in this review. Could you give us a little vino mica, you know, kind of what you think when when the term glycerin comes up? I you know, right off the bat, I just think polished and I think like just really clean, like this um, smooth, but kind of ripe in your face style, um, but but balanced, like some power, but not over the top. He did he say fifteen five percent? He did in his review, and it's fourteen nine on the label, so it could be right in there, in between. But it's a it is a pretty powerful wine. But yeah, I don't know glycerin. I mean. I think of bush glycerine when I hear it. And I can't, I can't get it out of my head now. It's going to be an earworm. <laughs> uh, now, I, 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 it's one of those terms that I despise Yeah, being used in a review. Nobody really knows what it means. I think most people kind of go towards what you're saying. But I, I feel like it's one of those that's really tough to hone in on. Yeah. And it's used just weirdly and out of context. Um but, you know, Parker was doing this for 40 years or whatever he did, wine reviews. He has to just use words, right? And I think of like um, a Christmas vacation, you know, like the nitroglycerin plant, you know, where he's like <laughs> smoking the cigar. And anyways, yeah, anyways, any Chevy Chase, uh, you know, fans out there, National Lampoon's fans out there will will know what I'm trying to talk about here, but. Yeah, I so I think about sweetness and viscosity when I think glycerin. Yeah, right. Because I think that's kind of what yeah glycerin or glycerine is like. Like what do they call that? Also, glycerol or something. Um, it's kind of like a odorless but sweet and very kind of viscous. So I think of that that viscosity more than anything, and that little bit of fruit sweetness probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, we pour. We just pop and poured. I mean, literally popped, poured. It's only been open, well, 10 minutes, maybe two minutes, 12 minutes total. Yeah. So what's the first impression coming from you? Well, now that the glycerin, the toxic waste and purple paste has all subsided, um, you know, honestly, right off the bat, that was just a joke. Right off of the bat, first of all, I can't believe how giving the wine is right when we opened it. Um, you know, this has been open just a couple minutes prior to flipping on record. So we're probably about 10 to 15 minutes in right now. And I think in another 15 minutes, if we go that long, this will be really showing nicely. But right off of the bat, first of all, Alexander Valley. I mean, I think there's 
hardly any other appellation in Napa or Sonoma that really has its own like feel and vibe and flavor and style to it than Cabernet from Alexander Valley. I think of like Stone Street. I think of old school Silver Oak, you know, Alexander Valley, um, Alexander Valley Vineyards. Uh, There's so many producers that we can talk about a name and the Cabernet from up here. This is very far north Sonoma where if you're driving from Napa into Sonoma, you kind of go through up into the mountains and wind all around and hills, mountains, whatever you want to call them. And you come on down and you're in the Alexander Valley. So very far north and it's cab country. And I think you get a lot of like beautiful green notes, which this wine has not green stemmy, not green peppery, but just like green olive, fresh green garden herbs, um, you know, I think that's a big hallmark of this area. And I think this wine is really showing that off nicely. Um, and then just this really, I mean, talk about blackberry and cassis. It is just right here screaming in spades. It is, is beautiful. And then when you have someone like the Gallo Empire and the Louis Martini team and whoever, everyone involved in this, they know how to use oak. And this thing is just like, got the perfect balance of the oak where the, it, it doesn't dominate. It's just in the background and it's this nice, um, you know, delicate spice quality versus this like getting hit over the head with vanilla or toast. Yeah, I would agree. I, I was surprised by the acidity on this too. It it It's much higher than I expected, mm-hmm. giving a lot of balance to the wine. And I guess maybe we should we should come to expect something really good out of somebody who's been making premium wine. Well, I mean, obviously Louis Martini didn't make this. He's not with us any longer, but those wines started being made by him back in the thirties, like 33. But I heard he's voting this year. He is twice Chicago. <laughs> um, the, that that's a long time Yeah, to make sure that you understand how grapes are going to behave within a region right mm-hmm. i mean so it's there's a lot of pedigree here and I, I don't know i is it 97 points i have no idea what 97 points taste like yeah is it a massively over delivering wine that probably does have another 10 to 15 years left of life absolutely and for 30 bucks i'm i'm on board you know finding cab this good with that kind of longevity Thankfully, I've got others. We popped this one today, mm-hmm. um, but I do have others that I've I bought more as soon as I had the first bottle. I'm like, and I got to lay this down because it's young, and I think there's a lot more underneath that's going to come out. Although I'm not sure how, because it's super complex now and giving, like you were saying, it's super giving already. So I don't know. Maybe the tannins, there the tannins are are there, right? Maybe that settles down a little bit. I, I don't know. Yeah, it, it does have some grip and some tannin to it. So I think it just continues to integrate. I think that acidity you're talking about, I agree with you that it's on the you know higher side and that's going to help preserve this thing um, in balance with those tannins. And um, what will be interesting to see is how the the fruit and the earth and herbs and the wood how those all hold together if they stay harmonious or not yeah um i can see this really turning into um a a really nice uh like bordeaux-esque style of wine when it gets a little bit older yeah i agree and i think that i would say that the winemaker here had a deft balance because it could have been sappy like it's it's a step away 
from over the top, mm-hmm. but it stops. Right. And, and that's how come I think it's giving now and has longevity to it versus kind of saying, all right, let's make this even sweeter right now. Let's just amp up everything and let's just have it. So people pound this one and are waiting for the next vintage, Yeah, which you could do with a, a wine of this price, because this is what people want. They want 25 to $40 Cabernet. I mean, being in the, I know that for some of you listening, that sounds like, oh, I can't afford that or what have you. I get it. But that's where people are buying right now. 25 to 40 for pure cab from California. That's what they're looking for. So um, that's where the market's at. So really kind of a fun wine, I think, to to break out. Yeah, for sure. It uh, kind of reminds me of uh, a dinner I, that we um, I did for my wife, for Aaron, for one of her recent birthdays. Um, I believe it was her big four zero. Um, we did it at, oh man, well we did it at this uh, this great Italian trattoria restaurant, Trattoria Ultimo, and it was awesome. We kind of rented the place out, <clears throat> and he let me bring some wines in, and I had to find some seventy eight bottlings for her and for people coming just to, you know, birthier wine, right? Like pretty awesome to always drink something from your birthier. And I spent a lot of time and effort in finding what I thought would be a great bottle. And it was from Barolo. And I got it from a New York City retailer. And the price tag was like about a couple hundred dollars, right? But I was like, hey, you know, this is worth it. This and all these people coming and everything. And then I'm going to give away a little local secret to some of our listeners that may or may not know, but a great place to find some wines with some age on it is the Chicago Wine Company. And they have an office and a warehouse in Wooddale, Illinois, which is a Chicago suburb close by to us. And I hopped on there and I was like, let me just do a quick search. And I searched 1978 and they had a Louis Martini Cabernet Sauvignon and it was $40. 1978 martini cab for 40 bucks so fast forward the night of the dinner the barolo did not really show that well but you know what showed really fucking good was the 40 dollar 1978 louis martini napa valley cabernet that thing was holding on strong um i can't remember were you guys able to make that yep we were there did you do you remember that yeah i do Right yeah. On. Yeah. That was crazy. And it reminded me because we had a 77 Mondavi that had just been sitting around and uh and drank well too not not too long ago, mm-hmm. right? A couple it's been a couple of years now also, but I was just like you you've, you've got to be kidding me. Like th- th- these wines are holding up and at the time like you said you spent 40 on it now, but at the time they were probably six bucks yeah five bucks right you know it's it's crazy yeah i mean and and that was i mean it reminded you of that dinner and you and i were talking about just wine dinners in general yeah and that i grabbed this because i went to a wine dinner that featured martini wines and lot one and we kind of got on the subject of you know people love wine dinners Mm -hmm. we've put on many we've been involved in many over the years but I'm not sure people quite understand what happens behind the scenes. And we we can share that. Oh. Like, it's not something that people normally would see, right? 
because they just see, okay, I can spend $75 plus tax and gratuity. I can get four courses paired up at this great restaurant with these great wines. Awesome. This is a great deal. I'm going. And then same dinner, $149. You can't fill it. Yeah. What, what goes, why don't, why don't you start? I'll let you start. Cause you, you know, I think we both have opinions on this. I think when you, when you do the, when you're, when you're part of the wine dinner on the industry side and you do it, when it comes down to the night of the dinner, um, you're putting out a great product, hopefully to the guests that paid to come and enjoy the dinner where they can enjoy the food with the wine. Hopefully it's paired up. Well, there's probably some good storytelling by hopefully a winemaker is there or someone really closely affiliated to, to the wines and it's a great night. But from the beginning, when the dinner is first conceptualized to that moment, I feel it's an absolute shit show and they are some of the most difficult and almost like a loss leader of an event to try to put together. But I think they're important and they offer value in a different way. But it kind of all depends. I mean, there's a lot of restaurants that will do a wine dinner just on their own. The restaurant will um, partner up with, let's just say a winery and one single winery. And that winery has, a, you know, different five, six different wines they produce, maybe more, but they pick five, six wines to show that night. And the restaurant puts together a tasting menu and they sell it for a certain price. And they usually work with the vendor, the distributor, the local distributor on, uh, you know, to try to get, cut some of the costs and maybe try to get some of the wines that they're going to pour at like on a sample budget where it's not costing them money to buy those wines. And uh, it's a lot of fun, right? And the customer comes out, they have a good time, they enjoy the restaurant and they become regulars at the restaurant. But the other side of that coin is when you have a retail partner involved in a dinner or the retail partner is the main host of that dinner, which we put together a lot over the years between Vin Chicago and wine styles and whatnot, wine discount center. So when, when you have like this third party retailer in the mix, it's this combination of, you know, finding the right restaurant partner, um, that where they're going to get some value out of people coming into their restaurant and a little bit of that cross promotion where they're going to sell some seats. The retailer is going to try to sell some seats so that you get a little bit of cross promotion. And then hopefully you're going to try to sell some wine. Um, And, you know, when you have these three different parties involved, I feel like it, like each one of these things is its own event. It's like you can't approach it with the same formula each time. And it really depends on this the wholesaler you're working with. Is it someone small like Bevuma that we've mentioned so many times on this show where it's like one person and you can get really creative and have these super one-on-one conversations? Or is it, you know, Louis Martini dinner where you're dealing with one of the larger nationwide distributors, which I think is breakthrough for them but whether it's breakthrough beverage or southern wine and spirits where it's a national large wine bow these are very large companies that have a national presence it's a much different approach to how to put that dinner together i feel like both are kind of painful though yeah (laughs) they they are They're, they're all painful right and i think that that's what people don't understand or appreciate right these dinners are put on like you said as a loss leader it's almost like marketing 
um, dollars. And like you mentioned samples. Well, the distributor is now giving up the money. The restaurant never wants to give up that money, right? And, and nor, nor should they, right. right? But wine is not free. I don't care what anybody tells you. Yeah. Wine is not free. There's not like these extra bo- these extra magical bottles that are sitting around for your wine dinner or for your tasting or what have you. It takes, if you think about it, right? If it takes you a bottle to sell a case of wine, that's like you really sold 11, right? So it's like giving one away for free. Now, depending on what wine that is, let's just say it's a $30, $30 bottle, right? Um, you, you've now, you've taken, well, it's one twelfth, right? I mean that you've just given away. Mm-hmm. That's really tough as a business. You can't give away one out of every 12 things that you want to sell. Right. It, whether you're a restaurant or you're a winery or what have you, food isn't free. Service isn't free. Uh, air conditioning and rent and heat and, you know, water, none of it's free. So at, I guess what I'm trying to say is as a consumer, you need to think about uh, a little bit like what goes into it. And maybe even if gratuity is included, you try to toss the server a little bit because they're probably just including, you know, kind of a 15% um, gratuity, sometimes 20, but not not too often. They're very difficult on the servers overall because of the precision needed to serve so many meals all at the same time so that they can be talked about with the right wine. So there's, there's that piece, the kitchen, it's not a smaller staff because you've got to put out so much. The kitchen actually is probably staffed as much or more than a busy night. Uh, and it's also why you're going to see these things on Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, when the restaurant isn't filling up anyway, because these are not big lucrative things. Yeah. Yeah, it um, should be like a little extra bonus for the restaurant. Right. And like one of the big biggest roadblocks that I ran into coming from the retail side was when you start working with a restaurant and maybe they don't have a lot of experience doing this, you know, just to keep the math kind of easy, let's say the dinner is 32 people, which is a little bit on the smaller side, but yeah, also it's, kind it's of average, right. yeah. kind of average. And, you know, you're pouring like five, four different wines. Um you know, you probably need about four bottles um, for for the dinner, plus maybe one more in case a bottle is corked, you know, maybe one or two more. So you're talking about like 20 bottles of wine over these four courses just to serve the dinner. And then the restaurant is like, well, you know, th- th- yeah, okay, the cost of that wine is 20 bucks, but we would sell that for 60. Right. So that means that we're go- we want to charge this to make this money. And it's like, no, 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 no. You got to, like, your, your thing is the food. Right. You guys make your money on that, but knock it out of the park, okay? Our thing is the wine with the distributor. Like the distributor needs to come in and kind of pony up to supply some of that wine because ultimately we're trying to, we're going to sell that wine and get customers to buy it that night at the dinner. Um, That's a big difference when you go into a restaurant setting that is used to just doing wine dinners for fun to get them into their restaurant and then want them to come back as they enjoyed themselves, which is 
definitely part of the retail vibe too. But when you're not offering the wines for sale, it just has a completely different setup and sort of connotation. So it was always a roadblock to get them to wrap their head around. Like, what do you mean we're not going to make money on the wine? Right. And it's like, well, if like everybody has to make money or nobody has to make money kind right. of thing, you know, like, so yeah, I, I just always felt like, Hey, this is your chance to like put up some awesome food and give some great service. And maybe of those 32 people, 20 have never been to your restaurant. And they're like, wow, that was good. And Hey, we should come back here some right. like weekend or brunch or whatever. Right. Um, yeah. And I, I, I think that what, what happens is that when they're higher priced, you know, it's, it's tougher without the right wine. I mean, you put the right winery with the right restaurant, it's going to sell every single time. Right. And that, that's fine. Mm -hmm. Um, but the other piece of it too is like, I can't tell you how many times somebody would get maybe upset at a wine dinner that we would run out. Right. Like they want more. Right. And the mat, the wine is finite. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. It's finite. Right. And what can I just get, I'm going to buy a bunch. Can you just give me a little more of that? I'm telling you, you do that. You sound to us. You just sound like a dick. And I'm just telling you the truth, right? Like we're going to try to do it no matter what, because we are service oriented people, but you still sound like a dick. Like you're not the only one that's here that wants more of the wine and is going to buy something. And the minute you tell me you're buying wine, I don't believe you. I I just, I expect zero from you at that point. Mm -hmm. And I got to tell you, 80, 20 rule, 80% of the time, the, the person, it's usually a dude who tells me I'm going to buy doesn't buy, mm-hmm. right? They just want as much as they can for quote unquote free, right? Cause it's inclusive. I'll, I'll just, I'll email you my order in the next uh, few days. Right. Do I have to buy it tonight? Yeah. Right. Like, so those are the types of things. Like if you want to get in like really good with the restaurant and, and the retailer and get to know people, like don't do things like that. Right. Mm-hmm. And remember like people have to get paid. I think, coming out of COVID people are going to be clamoring for wine dinners. And I think they're going to, you're going to start to see them finally go up in price because people can't afford to give stuff away right now. There, there's no wine to give away because everybody's hurting. So I, I, I'm hoping that, you know, the dinner that we did for, you know, a hundred dollars inclusive of tax and tip, be, you know, which really needed to be 150 or 175 goes to that level mm-hmm. to be 150 or 175. And everybody starts to get paid and it, it's actually a moneymaker versus out of a marketing budget. Because up until now, I would probably say 80% of wine dinners were break even at best. At like best. If, if you could break even on a wine dinner, that was fantastic, right? And if you got a few cases sold on the back end, even better, but that would still help with the break even part usually, right? And somebody's eating credit card fees and I was just gonna all say that, right? you, know, you gotta build that into the mix also and it's like maybe you make a few bucks a person or something right. like that. Um, you know, I know a lot of the times when we did one with Finn Chicago, we would sell it to our customers. They would buy their ticket, if you will, through the store, but that's just kind of a pass through. Like most of that money, if not all of it, then gets divided to go to the restaurant and the distributor. 
Yeah, and and, right? and what I I to cover some cost right. or some sort of a deal that splits the cost with the right. distributor. Like, hey, we'll take fifty percent of the cost of the wine too, and you kind of build it in there. But you're trying to give value. I mean, if if these were money making events, your wine dinner ticket would be two fifty to three hundred per person. Easy, easy. Right? I mean, and that's. And, and that's because you're getting a lot of bang for your buck. Usually in these, sometimes you don't, I got it. Right. But usually you do. And, um, you know, there's, there's a lot more demand when it's the right wine, you know? So look, it's, if it's California and it's Cabernet and it says Justin, or it says silver Oak, those, those dinners are going to be way more pricey, right. Than if it's done by, uh, by Vuma, right? And it's Italian and it's esoteric. And, you know, I don't know who Paolo is, right? I don't know what any of these brands are. I don't know Guillermo, whatever. Um, it, but it it still costs the same, yeah, right? So the wine, the, you know, the wine dinner for Silver Oak can get, you know, 179 a person. And the wine, the same dinner from By Vuma can get 79 a person, right? I mean, it just... It's just, it's mind boggling, right? What you need to sell it at to fill, fill the, well, you know, what, you, what can you Correct. charge to fill the seats? Correct. So we're, I mean, over time, I think it could be a fun, you know, like I've always thought like, wouldn't it be fun to do like a series, like a pop-up series of wine dinners? I think it'd be fantastic to do. I cannot figure out how to make money on it. I just yeah. can't, right? You got to sell a subscription and it, the subscription is expensive. Now I, I have a ton of people who, will say, well, I would do that. Yeah, I get it. You would until it's time. <laughs> and then you realize, oh shit, I'm spending 400 bucks to go out with my wife, right? Mm-hmm. I, I can't afford that every four months, you know, or three months or how many of you put on. Like that's what it would really cost for the consumer, for other people to make money, Yep. right? So I, I don't know. I, I think if you can give a little bit of grace when you go to these dinners and, yeah. and, and you know that they are not making a lot of money that they're scraping by doing this. Maybe, you know, it'll pivot your mindset a little bit and maybe you, you'll appreciate like when you get a lot of value, this kind of tells you like, Oh, it, it, I got to think about this. They probably need to be 50% to double to really make money on this dinner. Yeah. Yeah, the vast majority of these are to offer you, the wine dinner consumer, some value and a great time and to wine and dine you. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> that reminded me of Kevin from the office. Wine dine in 69. <laughs> oh, Kevin. Uh, yeah, so I, I know it probably sounded less, less Mike, more me, probably sounded like I was complaining and that's not what it's meant to be, right? It's meant to shine a light on something that I think hopefully coming out of COVID, we can actually adjust and get everybody to have a better time by offering up better dinners at the right price point Mm -hmm. um, and getting customers in who really want to enjoy that. And appreciate very, you know, exactly. Just appreciate the experience. And another thing that you, you know, something you said earlier reminded me a lot of um, consumers that show up to these wine dinners, they're like, oh, can I buy the wine right now? Can I just buy a bottle oh, or two? Oh, right. That's a good point. And that's, that's another, you know, kind of part that needs to be uh, enlightened that, you know, number one, the licensing doesn't allow for a bottle to be sold to you to take 
away and go drink later. That's called an off-premise license, and that's what retail stores have. Now, some restaurants do have that, and let's say, for the sake of argument, they do have it. It's still difficult to arrange to get all these bottles there. You can't just like show up with wine like a lemonade stand and make a wine stand. You can't do wine on consignment. Yeah, yeah. That's what it comes down to, right? And you can't like hedge your bets and we'll just bring and figure it out later. Um, So for the most part at these dinners, you know, some retail stores (laughs) have done events like that where you can, you know, kind of figure that out and work that out because they can just go ahead and sell that wine later off off the floor, whatever doesn't sell at the tasting at the event, right? But restaurant and a wine dinner, it just doesn't work that way. So, um, you know, I would really encourage everyone that if there's an opportunity to buy the wine, to really fill out that order form that night, that's the best way to like get your hands on these wines down the road versus like, oh, I'll just go into the store next week and buy some. Well, that store might not have it in stock at all. Right. You know, it might just be like they're featuring the wine, the, the dinner that night. Some of those wines, maybe they have one of them, but all five of them, it's not in the interest of the store to buy cases just to see in case people come out from the dinner later to buy it. Where when you order that night, then it's like, hey, look, we sold three cases of this. That did really well. Let's grab a couple extra and put it out on our shelf because we can now tell this story and it's got like a little bit of momentum. Um, so it you know it just kind of helps you as the consumer as well as the retailer and distributor partner when you're you're ordering that wine and also to understand that you can't buy it when you go to the dinner you buy your one or two bottles yeah early on i was able to when i was really young in the business i was able to obtain a license where i could sell at an event Mm -hmm. like this and so i was super excited right because i could just put all this wine in my suv and drive it over and then put it to the side and then when people wanted to buy it it was there. Well, try to guess which one's going to sell. You're going to be wrong every right. single time, right. right? So you've got 80% too much on four wines, and you've got the one wine that everybody wanted that you don't have nearly enough. That you enough, don't have enough right? of. <laughs> and people are pissed, right? So it's a guessing game from that perspective, too. Even if you could do it on consignment, it's almost impossible. You can't bring enough... And there's now you're moving very heavy objects around, right? And you're risking injury and you're, you're costing fuel. And I mean, it really, I mean, a case of wine guys is, is it's 30 pounds, give or take. Right. So, um, it could be 40 pounds on, on some of them. You know, I always estimated it right in, you know, kind of be right at 30. It was probably a little bit more on average, but either way, it doesn't matter. They're heavy. And you're lifting them over and over and over. You just got to be careful. And that fuel costs, like every time you move those things around back and forth and labor and there's a lot of cost involved. So, you know, in the end, I hope people really enjoy wine dinners. And I hope that we can get to the point where at least everybody is satisfied. Like it's the right, like it's right priced for the consumer. The restaurant makes some money. The distributor actually makes money instead of trying to give away product. And if there's a retailer involved that they at least break even out of it, because I know many times we would charge 
let's just say a hundred dollars for a wine dinner. Right. And we would eat, we'd pass a hundred bucks to the restaurant because that's where the wine was getting delivered. Mm-hmm. And we would just eat it like the, the two and a half percent, um, credit card fees. Mm-hmm. Right. Look, it's a small business guy at wine styles. That, that, that hurt. Yeah. <laughs> you can't take two and a half percent of every dollar on top of everything else that's going on in the world and expect to make money. Not right? good for the long run. No. No, it was not. Let me tell you. <laughs> not good for the long run. <laughs> so anyway, I, I think those are some good insights, though, for people to know kind of what goes on behind the curtain um, and what kind of pain points there are. Mm-hmm. So There's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> there are a lot of pain points to Absolutely. get that to get that dinner put together. But uh, Awesome, man. It's all in good fun and um, ultimately to uh, enjoy great wine and great food. Let's hope. Let's some great hope. company, too. Mm-hmm. All right, dude, anything else to add before we before we sign off? I've just really been enjoying this wine while we've been talking about this, you know? I mean, it's uh I mean, Louis Martini, like they really they really did a good job with the 2014. Again, like Robert Parker 97 points. That's you know, Whatever. take all that with a grain of salt. Whatever but you want to think about that. But his description was good. But his description was good, absolutely. And uh, you know, that reminds me, it said 98% cab and 2% petite Syrah. Yeah. And I just picture like you know there was an intern that accidentally dumped some petite Syrah and they were like no what are you doing what the fuck man you know like all right two percent all right what are you gonna do you know but they're in, I, they're I in a lab a, with an eyedropper <laughs> it's like you know like we're gonna make this 100 percent cab this is a pure cab this 2014 you know and like someone just <laughs> well the thing is so without parker telling you you'd never know never know absolutely you'd never absolutely. ever know so it only needs to be what 75 percent of a varietal to label it that to way label it yeah in the united states it's so. like you're already at 98 why 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 the two percent petites are on there that's what i would ask but you don't pick it up or color add, you know <laughs> add some color sure but i don't know how much you just you being so anti-petite Syrah right now i mean i think that you should be a little bit kinder, gentler to the petite Syrah. <laughs> There's one petite Syrah for me, and it's it's the Bialy Royal Punishers. And that's it. That's it, huh? I like the uh, Jaffers. No, Jaffers is great. Isn't that Jaffers so good? is so good. Thompson Vineyard petite Syrah. Yeah. Holy shit, that's really good. Ridge does a great petite Syrah. They do. I need to write about that soon. Mm. It's going to be fun. <laughs> All right, dude, we should probably wrap it up. Remember, life is short. Enjoy your wine dinner and drink what you like tonight. Thank you for listening to That Wine Pod. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at at That Wine Pod. And we are That Wine Podcast on Facebook. Also, check out Mike on Instagram at Vino Mike. And Pete is at Fat Man Stories. Please subscribe to That Wine Pod on your favorite podcast app and leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps the show. The music is Proto-Funk by Kevin McLeod. That Wine Pod is a production of Paragon Media. Paragon Media.